Welcome to our podcast inside SAP S4HANA again. There's no customer success without product success and project success. I hope you're all safe at home, most probably still in your home office like me and like my speaker today. I'm in mind, obviously, and today we have a recording in a podcast with someone I was really looking forward to talk to. This is someone who's been on the S4HANA crusade since day one, someone who ran with his company many successful S4HANA projects. And I remember that a couple of years back, we ran a joint webinars on S4HANA. I think it was a manufacturing topic. It was indeed, I think, a couple of years back. And here we are, Sean Silverston from Convergent IS. We share his passion for Cloud ERP, for prototyping, and more with us today. Welcome, Sean. Good morning, Yannick. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk to you again. Before we start and go into the beef, into what you want to share with us, what are the key things people should know about you? Oh, yeah, great question. I guess um, some of my favorite things, uh, if you saw the Sapphire interview with Yann, you've seen that I have skis hanging in my office. We also have those hanging uh, over our fireplace. So um, yeah, big skier, uh, absolutely love skiing. Uh, also really love mountain biking. Uh, fortunately, it's a shared passion uh, for our, our whole family. Um, my wife, our three kids, uh, we we all love skiing and mountain biking. I I even met my wife uh, backcountry skiing uh, about you know eight kilometers from the nearest road and uh, uh, about you know five hundred meters up next to the edge of a glacier. So um, yeah, skiing is is pretty big for our family. Very good. I love skiing as well, and I think we too have a shared passion, which is cloud ERP. Um, yes. Before we go into that, tell me a bit uh, more about Convergent IS. How did the company evolve over the last years, uh, embracing the let's say the cloud crusade? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a real journey. You know, we the company started uh, early two thousands, and it was was originally focused around uh, mobile enablement, so helping people really work from anywhere. And that's translated so well with the addition of the SAP practice that we started about seven years ago. So what we've really found is as you go from helping somebody work no matter where they are, this has translated into understanding and empathizing with people that just need to get their job done. And there are things that make that really hard. So that really helped us to empathize with customers as they were struggling with making SAP, in some cases, work in the middle of nowhere or sometimes, you know, in their plant, on their shop floor, in their office. And part of this then translated into, well, you know, we've been doing this helping this business of helping people take their work wherever they go and make it easier to do. Now, let's translate that into deeper into SAP. And so that took us in 2015. We implemented S4 for ourselves. And from that perspective, it's always been important for us to lead by example. And when, when I talk about leading by example, I mean, I mean, literally going live with S4 before SAP did and helping our customers go and do the same thing um, and doing that from the perspective of here's how we use it. And here are the things that we found really work for us. And even though we're in most of the time, we're smaller than our customers, we can still come back. And sometimes somebody says, hey, you know, we're too small for SAP. I can say, here, hold my beer. Watch this. Um, and that really helps with the the empathy. So from there, um, I think the other really interesting thing to me was getting this tremendous compliment from SAP to be recognized as the first app house. Um, if some some people have heard of the app house network, and so we were we were recognized as the first app house in the Americas, um, and that's really SAP's endorsement of 
you understand and are, are very strong in making SAP technology do what you need, but you're also really good at the human-centered innovation and design thinking and, and making it really work for people. And so we've taken that even further to go and build, um, you know, uh, coming up on a few dozen packaged uh, SAP applications to go and help fill in some of those things around uh, SAP to go and help make some of those things even easier for our customers. So there, there's a lot of passion there to go and help people work from no matter where they are and really lead by example. So yeah, definitely some shared passion with ERP. You get kind of excited about it. Very cool. You just said App House. If I'm not mistaken, you've been in the App House in Heidelberg as well, correct? What did you do there? Oh yeah. Yeah, the App House in Heidelberg is beautiful. Um, it's gotten so big, it needs more than one building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I understand you have a successful story with S4 Public Cloud going live with a company in the automotive industry, a company that's doing some complex manufacturing. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, you bet. You know, it's really fascinating. They're, they came to us because they had made an acquisition and they really needed to get their business off of this old ERP and they wanted to move it to something modern, something that really worked. The catch is they've got you know, very complex multi-level manufacturing with, you know, supply chain that's extremely demanding. Um, you know, they've got penalties with their customers of, you know, say a million dollars a day if they were late on a shipment. And when costs and complexity and consequences are that high, I mean, this was obviously a, a very important initiative for them. So we're able to work together to help them go live on Cloud ERP, SAP, S4, and to help them do that in a way where they, they didn't miss a beat in delivery for their customers for anything related to the SAP implementation. And they, they were able to have significantly better visibility into their orders, their supply chain. And the, I mean, the, the, some of the real magic was in how we were able to help tune and optimize the MRP to help them plan even further out and plan all of the many, many layers of their dependent parts. And in their words, and, and I, you know, we took this as a real compliment was that they now have a strategic advantage. And that's the sort of language that you know your customer is really seeing positive change in their business when they say that. Wow, amazing, impressive. So to tackle a high stakes implementation like this one and have the customer really be successful there, this is something that uh, I guess the few things you can share Tell us about you know the things you, according to you, need to do right for S4 Cloud to go right. Oh yeah, there's many things that can go wrong on an ERP implementation. And, oh yeah, you know we've all read stories of things that didn't really work. It's interesting because so many organizations start with, hey, we'll just you know we'll just do this ERP thing, no big deal. We'll just hire somebody, they'll do it for us, and then we'll be then we'll be happy, right? Uh, and what you know, sometimes optimistically, they think, "Well, we've just hired somebody that's good at this." And one of the things that is often really missed is why? Why are you doing this? And some companies jump into it too quickly, or sometimes companies are thinking that it's just, well, I guess we just have to do this. But understanding why, not just not just from the, well, it's something that's technically better, but there needs to be a tie back to the business objectives. There needs to be a, a clear return on investment. And, and there needs to be a something that is driving the business to see value, to have some urgency to go and do this. And 
And those business objectives in that business case, I think, are often glazed over. Um, so we, we see things like presentations going to, you know, the executives or the executive board or the board of directors. And, and it, it says something like, well, you know, we're going to blueprint and then we're going to build it and then we're going to do testing and then we're going to go live and then we're going to fix a bunch of stuff later. And we're going to have this big bar down at the bottom that says change management. And whoever's sitting there doing that presentation is thinking to themselves, oh, I hope they don't ask me what's in that change management bar. Please don't ask me. And then naturally somebody asked them and then they, they start talking about, well, you know, we're, we're going to do training and we're going to communicate and we're going to do training and we're going to communicate. And, and sometimes that, that feels a little washed out. Um, if somebody's going into one of those presentations, not sure how to talk about how they're going to help that change happen. And if they don't have something really tangible, then that, that's a real risk. And that really comes back to the, the governance around the project and having the right steering committee. Um, you know, having the right team and thinking about that cultural and size fit of the company that's supporting the, the organization. You know, the, the steering committee is really fascinating because almost every time we start working with a customer, when we're working with the steering committee, we will often ask, you know, some basic questions. Um, what are you looking to get out of this? What are you worried about? What, uh, you know, what, what do you see the value of this coming out of it? And then we'll ask, you know, are, do you guys feel like you're on the same page for that? And almost without fail, we, we go through an exercise with them and they're not on the same page at all. They've hardly talked about it. I mean, this guy's thinking that it's going to be a technical thing. This guy over here is thinking that it's going to give him some kind of AI machine learning magic that doesn't actually exist. But he saw a brochure somewhere that maybe hinted that that's something, but it, it wasn't even the same product. Uh, and this person over here is really just worried about cost overruns. And unless the steering committee is brought around to really get on the same page about what they're going to get out of it you know, the whole thing is shot before it starts. Um, I'm sure you've seen examples of steering committees starting to pull projects in multiple directions. And I mean, this is an example of how to start wrong from the outset. So getting steering committee to be both obviously a strong supporter, but also really genuinely on the same page for, you know, expectations, goals, and, and, and support. And then you've got the project team. You know, there's a few horror stories that I can share more later, but, you know, examples of, for instance, uh, an organization that thought they'd assigned, you know, six people to the project full time, except nobody backfilled them. So you've got, you know, six people that have got their day job and then they're on top of their day job trying to trying to be a key project member for implementing an ERP system. And, and you know, it, you can get a little ways into the project before sometimes somebody says, yeah, no, I, I wasn't actually backfilled. Um, and so you know, always remembering to make sure that, A, you've got the right team and that they're backfilled. Um, because implementing an ERP project isn't something that people can genuinely do uh, off the side of their desk. The, the people that are brought into that team should really be people from the business that, you know, the business wasn't sure they really wanted to let go. And if you're, as an organization, if you're, if you're implementing ERP and you're thinking about who you want to be, leading and, and guiding and, and making that ERP implementation really go. You know, if you're assigning people to that project that you kind of had and you weren't sure what to do with them because they weren't really fitting here and they weren't really fitting there, then that's not the person that you should be putting on your ERP project. I mean, this is, this is a significant investment for the company and you don't want to put your C team player on your A project. And then the, you know, the last piece is around that cultural and size fit. So, you know, often we see, you know, a 
maybe a mid-sized organization, you know, maybe they're a half a billion dollars or a billion dollars or something like that. And then they, they hire sometimes a systems implementer and that systems implementer is many times bigger than they are. And, you know, they, they sometimes feel like the, the team that was uh, there to do the proposal um, after they buy it is gone. Right. And when the size difference between the implementer and the customer is inverse, um, you know, often that project can be not as important to that large systems implementer as, as, uh, as it would be if the size relationship was reversed. So I've always tended to find uh, some benefit in, in looking to pair organizations in a way where the, the, the implementer is smaller than the, the organization that's being implemented. Uh, I've always found that to be a healthy dynamic. Um, and then the, the cultural fit, you know, sometimes you can have a, a systems implementer that's a little bit more like stormtroopers that are going to come in and they're going to make this happen to you. Um, and then you've got others that will come in and help you do it. And, and that last one, I think in, in terms of a, a, a cultural fit ties right back to the why and the business objectives and the business case and the steering committee and the team and the, the cultural fit and the, and the team. And if an organization is trying to outsource the entire ERP implementation, then they're kind of abdicating, right? And if it's your business objective, outsourcing that business objective is not something that typically works very well because it's still your business and it's your business objective. So hiring somebody to help you with it totally makes sense. But we've seen what happens in large systems implementations when sometimes in either, you know, there's several good examples in public sector or private sector or you know, there's many case studies out there of, of an organization that hired an SI and said, just go do it. And when that happens, that, that kind of abdication of responsibility leads to, you know, a real gap in the end implementation because it's a context and it's an ownership and it's an alignment question that becomes extremely difficult. And the, the sponsorship from the steering committee, the, the single sponsor, that's their outcome that they're after. So often in, in the mid-market, that's, that's the CEO ultimately that's sponsoring this and because it's going to touch the operations and finance and manufacturing and everything else. So that kind of uh, you know deep engagement is super important. I hope that helps in terms of uh, some of the things that, you know, starting, we've heard about starting with why. Yeah. And, and the same thing really applies here, right? Exactly. And, and there's actually a lot of thing to think about if you want to do the right thing. And um, could not agree more than the, the why really gives the, the, anyone, me, you, the product team, a sense of purpose, right? This is what motivates us, you know, to wake up in the morning and to do what we love to do. And of course, the right team, which should be a diverse team, make, makes a big difference as well. And, and what I've learned in my 20 plus years is that, a project without an exec support or even more stronger and an, an exec sponsorship, I should say, is really critical. We see that in in internal projects as well. If you don't have this executive sponsorship, you usually fail, right? Should not even start the projects. But how do you help drive the fit to standard process so you know it will be successful in the end, right? Because this is fit to standard, the sub-activate methodology is the default. Um, but you want to make a difference, right? So what is your recipe? Yeah, absolutely. You know, prototyping is so important. It's it's really part of our DNA. It's part of everything that, that we do because design thinking absolutely depends on prototyping. And while the fit to standard process 
by some measures, is not intended to be a big design thinking exercise. The concept of prototyping is still so perfectly applicable. Uh, several years ago, one of the large analyst organizations had done a study to go and identify the costs of making changes through implementation projects. And so what they did was they they laid it out to say, well, during the concept phase, if you were making a change, then it's maybe a dollar. And there you go into you know the design phase or the prototyping phase or the blueprint phase. Making a change there is maybe $5. And then once you start building things, then your cost of a change is maybe $30. And, and you get into user acceptance testing and the, the change is $70. And then you go to production and the cost is maybe $100 out of, out of you know, a zero to $100 kind of a scale on a relative basis. And that that sort of emphasis really drives home the point that making changes needs to happen early. And one of the things that I think is very, very important in terms of a difference between traditional blueprinting, where, you know, maybe we can conjure up a picture of, you know, a systems integrator with 12 people in the room and lots of whiteboards and fancy PowerPoints and saying, this is how it's going to work and it's beautiful. But if you if you translate that into how somebody makes it real for them, you don't prototype something by showing somebody a PowerPoint. You prototype something and test the prototype by getting people's hands on it. And that's probably one of the most important things is people's hands need to be on it and they need to be putting that prototype through their perspective of their day in the life of and week in the life of and month in the life of and year in processes. And without that prototyping, without people's hands really on it, they're just spectators. And unless you bring your business users in to be testers of the prototype and to engage in the design of the prototype, then they're really spectating. And, it, you know, this is ERP implementation is not a spectator sport. It is a hands-on game. And so we need these people that are going to be ultimately using it heaven forbid, talking to people that are really going to use it. But we need them not just looking at the design and not just sitting in a room full of fancy PowerPoints or watching somebody else drive. We need them driving, right? We need them to get their hands on the keyboard, on the mouse. We need them to go and create a sales order. We need them to go and create an invoice. We need them to go and run a, uh, you know, some of the reporting that they need for their month end or period close. And we need them to go and you know run through a production order. And these are the kinds of things that need to be done hands-on. And that's how you identify gaps. So that fit to standard to try on a suit or to try on clothes, you don't hold it up next to you. You try them on and you move around in them. You don't look at a pair of shoes and go, yeah, those look like they fit, and then plan to wear them for a really, really long walk. Uh, nobody, for instance, next year when hopefully we can do Sapphire in person again, nobody wants to buy a brand new pair of shoes and start to wander around Sapphire if they're not 100% sure they're going to be really comfortable. So the same sort of thing happens here. You've, you've got to really get hands on it. And then and then from, from things that don't fit, you know, that's really where you can start to look out to the app center and you can start to look at what sorts of other apps are already built. Because at the end of the day, everyone is special and unique and different. And they're also just like everyone else. And so it's becoming less and less likely that you were the first company to run into this thing that didn't fit. And so looking looking up and out before you go and start custom coding a bunch of stuff and looking up and out too, 
perhaps you don't need to just start from custom coding. Perhaps you can work with somebody like an app host, perhaps like us, who can who can help bring a few different organizations together to say, here's how we can make something that works for several of you that's a packaged solution instead of here's a custom app, right? Because we all want to avoid customization. And so if you can throw out the customization idea and replace it with, here's something that's really close to maybe what we would have designed ourselves, maybe not exactly the same, but it's already built and it's packaged and it's ready to go. That's part of the mentality I think that needs to come with cloud. And that cloud mentality, that cloud mindset, I think really needs to be driven in in looking for things that are packaged and looking for how your organization is is similar to others and thinking about something as either out of the box or custom, but looking up and out a little bit for that midpoint of, you know, other extensions and apps that have been built to help close that gap. I had to spline to, to smile, sorry, when you said prototyping is part of your DNA, because this is very true in the IT industry, um, everywhere you go. And your team was doing actually this S4HANA cloud prototype in another industry that is very much prototyping driven, the automotive industry. You know, we yeah. all, when we go to, to uh, Gene- Geneva or any other in Frankfurt and whatever um, automotive uh, fair, everyone wonders and hope that the coolest uh, piece of the prototypes will really make it to the mass commercialization. Um, were they immediately comfortable with the approach, you know, prototyping and repetition and all that? You know, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to it. And the... It takes some coaching to help somebody sit down in front of the prototype. And sometimes you got to hold their hand a little bit through, well, you know, I was I was going to do this, but I don't know how to do that. And when you think about a prototype, if you can imagine needing to get in a car and, and not knowing where to put the key, if nobody points out to you that there's a start button now, then it's going to be really hard for you to really test the prototype, right? Uh, so sometimes you you really do need to spend some extra time helping to coach somebody through the prototype to make sure that they really see and can try themselves what works. Um, the quality of the questions that come out are are, are so much so much more powerful when uh, when we when we do it that way. You you, you said that. You eventually want to mention some horror stories, and we all recall a few horror stories with car prototyping as well. Is this something you would like to mention um, from from which we can all learn something? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I'm, I mentioned the, um, you know, the project team that was dedicated and uh, we, we made some changes in the way that we have some additional validation steps uh, in our approach. We did have uh, a six people that were assigned and dedicated to the project and their names were all out there. And, you know, it was uh, several weeks into the project before we were identifying that, you know, you guys are having trouble keeping up with the pace we need to keep up here. What's, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, we've got our other, you know, we've got this other stuff we've still got to do. What do you mean other stuff from the outside of the project? You guys are, you know, assigned and dedicated to this, you know, like full time. Oh yeah. Yeah, we are. Great, but why do you have this other stuff that you've still got to get done? Well, we we haven't been backfilled yet. Oh, <laughs> you know there there's a there's a recipe for um, uh, for an impact to the project right there, and and so that was a remarkable remarkable surprise. You could say this is the idea that um, you know this was on a on a on a different project. The the idea that somebody would be dedicated to a project on a full time basis, but still have their full time day job. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hats off to them. Super hardworking, dedicated. You know, their their attitudes, you know, really good. But that extra step to validate, you know, so you're you're full time dedicated to the project, right? Yeah. 
and you've been backfilled, right? Who took over your old job? Uh, you know, if, if there's not a really good quality answer to that, then uh, that's definitely a risk to folks, you know, starting to fall behind very, very quickly because it's demanding on, on a project like this. And I think there, there's a combination there of, you know, while the steering committee expected to do something there, ultimately it looked like there was a, a, a local plant leader that maybe just thought that their team would, you know, work harder and put in the overtime and whatnot. That's maybe they'd save some money. Uh, you know, not a not a good idea. You know, other parts of the organization had backfilled properly, but you identify this, you know, this one group, and you kind of go, uh-oh. Um, you know, it takes some time to backfill people. So obviously, there's there's an immediate uh, project impact. So that being really crystal clear about exactly what that means, and and then, you know, when you're when you're helping somebody with that, one of the things that we learned is, you know, really go and make sure that not only are they dedicated to the project full time, but that they are already backfilled. It feels like one of those questions that you should never have to ask or, or things that you shouldn't have to check. But, you know, I can I can think about something like that as a, as an opportunity to go, wow. Exactly. And this is actually something I would suggest everyone to to add on their questionnaire while recruiting for a project. Have you been backfilled to your candidate? And if you don't get the quality engine that, answer that you mentioned, then sorry, we need to look for another resources. And in addition to that, well, the pace of innovation is very high, as you said, you know, with quarterly updates, now ICP is talking about monthly um, continuous delivery and an end. Um, talking about innovation, what are some of your favorite innovations for S4HANA Cloud recently? You know, it, it might be really pragmatic and maybe it seems a little bit boring, but one of my favorites is a, a process called P2Q and it's for copying data and and I am I am not usually excited about data and I am not usually about excited about copying things and and you know this one process seems really trivial in the grand scheme of you know MRP and inventory monitoring and sales order fulfillment monitoring and all of these other you know fantastic innovations some of the machine learning to go and identify deliveries that might be late um, those are fantastic in terms of the implementation itself this this process to allow you to copy master data and transactional data is actually one of my favorite innovations because it's something that was a unique challenge with cloud and it and it's allowing you now to do more of a dry run cutover and in implementations there especially if you're coming from a non SAP system the dry run cutover is one of those things that really helps the business look for things in the data as part of a cutover and make sure that the data transformations that are happening as you're going from an old ERP to a new ERP, really making sure that those are lined up and really working the way people expect them to. And you can do this in, you know, you've got your test system and you've got your production system. And, and I like the simplicity of, of you know, two systems for, for, for a landscape, but it, it also makes it a little bit harder to go and validate some of the data that you're planning to migrate. So the ability to do the dry run cutover is is just, it's, it's kind of magic because when we think about a prototype, it's very difficult in the absence of this to prototype your cutover and then test it. So when we think about one of the, one of the biggest events of the whole thing is go live. And so being able to prototype your go live and test it to go and make sure that it's really working the way you expect it to is is really a powerful powerful way to de-risk a project and so i was really excited about this new process um, because that process is is going to help significantly increase the quality 
and significantly de-risk go lives, especially when they're more complicated. You know, the number of uh, before this, the ways to go and test complex multi-level manufacturing was, for instance, to go and add a one in front of all of the different parts and builds and material and everything else, and then go and try to test that. And when that's happening, it's very, very difficult to go and tell the difference between some of the financial impacts because it's muddled and mixed in with a whole bunch of other things. But exactly. where you have an opportunity to, to, to do it, test it, run some of your test processes, and then evaluate it. That's powerful. And that quality of implementation and the number of potential surprises after go live can go down substantially. So that boring data copy process that would put most people to sleep and is very easy to overlook is my my favorite innovation. And, and I'm really delighted to see it because, you know, dry run cutovers until recently have been very, very challenging to do. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for for making that possible. You're welcome. And of course, Go Live is almost as important as Christmas in a um, project management life. Although we're half away from half a year away from from Christmas, what is on your wish list? Key innovation you really want ACP to provide? One of my favorite innovations that I think is is uh, getting very close is the ability to take your S4 system and look at it at a potential um, gap or an area or even a process and then look for an extension that can help you with it. And so if we think about this process is a process that I have a gap with, or maybe be this the beginning of this process or the end of that process, and then being able to say, hey, I'm looking for apps or extensions or things that are like this that are maybe related to this process. And then having your results come back from the app center to say, here are 12 apps that could potentially help you with that process. These two work with exactly your version. And by the way, kind of like the Apple App Store, click here to try it. You know, that that is to me where the magic of the cloud really comes together and where the 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 power of of continuous update mixed with um, extensions that aren't all custom because we've as part of this cloud mindset we've got to move past the if it's not standard it's custom and there there's still a significant window of of maybe traditional thinking i suppose we can call it that says if it's not from sap it's custom and sap's made it really clear that their goal is to help fill in areas around industry solutions and so on with with partner solutions. And that's that's what the App Center is for. So making sure that during the fit to standard process that we start to look to the App Center. And I'd love to even see that built right into Activate and built right into some of the customer facing materials for, hey, if, if this isn't working, look here. And then being able to go and quickly test a new app. I, I'm really excited about that. I know it's moving slowly in that direction, but you know, and it's going to take a while to get there. But that that's a that's a target state that's very, very exciting to me. Point taken. Thanks for sharing that. And I think this is a perfect wrap-up for the podcast as well, Sean. Thanks Amazing. for sharing your insight. It was great to get the perspective from the partner and the customer at the same time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I, I hope we can do this again someday. We will definitely do so. As always, if you all enjoyed today's discussion and would like to learn more, stay tuned for the next one. As always, drop us an email to submit your topic at insidess 4 at acpcom I repeat, inside s4 at acp.com. 
and let us know which topic are of your interest. Stay safe, stay tuned, and next time be inside ACPS for HANA. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.